Episode number 100, Dennis Bernstein. Not only welcome to the program, but uh, dude, we've been at this for a while now. We made it to triple digits. I'm amazed we made it to double digits. But yeah, episode 100, we've been at it a while and uh, certainly some uh, exciting times over the next two weeks coming, John. The next couple of weeks are going to be absolutely insane. We, of course, have the expansion draft coming up. The lists are due to the NHL League office on Saturday. We're going to release this on Friday, so we're less than 24 hours away from the list being due, the protection list. And then the actual expansion draft will be held on the 21st, which is next Wednesday. You'll be in Seattle covering that. We'll get into that. And then you have the NHL schedule slated to come out on Thursday, I believe. And then the draft is Friday and Saturday. Uh, then you have RFA qualifying offers due on the 26th, which I think <laughs> is Monday, if my calendar's correct. And then a yes. couple days later, free agency begins. Free agency, so 28. we are in a yeah. 10 to 14 day window, uh, DB, where, well, I guess all hell is about to break loose. But we wanted to get started by uh, having a podcast. We have a couple of episodes lined up here over the next couple of weeks. But to kick things off, episode number 100, and we're going to do something unique for this episode, we're going to have two guests. So we're bringing in Tyler Madden, of course, an L.A. Kings prospect, and his dad, longtime NHL player, three-time Stanley Cup winner, John Madden. And uh, we'll get the perspective from father and son, hopefully, on a couple of different things. Uh, But first up, DB, of course, we always like to start with the name of the studio. And given that it is expansion draft season right now, I thought that this would be apropos. The name of the studio today, we are brought to you live in Southern California from the Terry Sawchuck Studio, who back in 1967, (laughs) DB, this was a few years before you were covering the Kings. Yes, yeah. He was the very first ever draft pick by the LA Kings in the expansion draft. Terry Sawchuck was, of course, he was a goaltender. We can talk more about him. Many people know him as the answer to the trivia question, but I want to put you on the spot, DB. Do you happen to know who the second pick by the LA Kings was in that expansion draft. Oh, you could give me 20 guesses. I would never get it. So go ahead. (laughs) It it was Wayne Rutledge, and I'll give you a couple of other names. We've actually discussed, I believe, uh, the third guy on this list, uh, Gord Labossier. Uh, Jim Fox mm -hmm. can text me if I'm saying that correctly or not with the proper uh, (laughs) accents and everything there. But uh, he was the third pick. Bob Wall was the fourth pick, later was the captain Mm -hmm. of the LA Kings. And he was in Los Angeles uh, during the 50th anniversary celebration. Eddie Joyal was the fifth selection by the LA Kings. Um, Real Lemieux, uh, you go down the list, you had uh, Brian Campbell, which of course was a different Brian Campbell. And below Brian Campbell, the 10th selection was Ted Irvine, which of course is the father 
of Chris Jericho, well-known pro wrestler, and Ted Irvine played for the New York Rangers as well as the L.A. Kings. And uh, Teddy Irvine and Jericho at the 2002 All-Star Game, the first All-Star Game in Los Angeles, at Staples Center at least, because uh, they've had right. two of them. They played there in the celebrity game, so that was uh, fantastic. And a number of other um, names that were selected by the L.A. Kings, Howie Hughes and other people. Uh, Jacques Lemieux was also. Uh, but, of course, Terry Sachuk, the very first one. He was a goaltender. Um, he's well-known from his time with uh, many teams, including the Detroit Red Wings, the Boston Bruins. He played right. for Toronto. He played for the Kings. He played for the Rangers. Uh, and uh, he, was, he was the very first goaltender ever selected by the L.A. Kings. Yep, he sure was. So, yeah, that's uh, a very famous name. But, the, yeah, the second name I never would have got, Jay. So, of course, you supply that name. I, I'm here to provide the, uh, the answers to the trivia questions for you so that you – if later in life, Dennis, if you're ever somewhere in Somebody need asks, of an answer I know. And, and someone asks you that, you have that in your back pocket and you know. Do you remember the name again right now I just gave you? Mm, you already forgot? No, I already forgot. <laughs> okay. I already forgot. I Write this one down. Uh, Wayne Rutledge. Episode Wayne Rutledge. And I, I know Wayne Rutledge as a player, so okay. I just, I'll just have to remember episode 100, Wayne Rutledge. I'll search it up. You know, it'll quick. kick in eventually, John. Yeah, it'll. I, look, I don't have everything at my fingertips like John Hoven does. Okay. When you ask anything about any any article, it, it's yeah. We've talked about this before, John. The the speed at which you grab your archives. <laughs> I've never seen before, to be honest. I, it's like, wait a minute, that's like a nine-year-old piece that he wrote for Mayor's Matter. He had it like thirty-five seconds. So just, yeah. just kudos to you for researching and be able to have that at your fingertips. You're just a savant when it comes to that, man. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. If you get into sure. a, if you get into a pinch and you don't know it, forget Google. Just okay. text me real quick, and I'll hit you with yeah, a link because I, I know everybody for loves sure. it when I hit him with a link. So <laughs> of course they do, John. <laughs> <laughs> Read more, tweet less. Uh, that's exactly. that's the motto. You, uh, you know, real quickly, DB, before we move on and talk about the expansion draft, I did just make reference a moment ago to the fact that Staples Center has hosted the the draft. Uh, excuse me, the All Star Game. They've also mm-hmm. hosted the draft in 2010. Yes, uh, but 2010. they hosted the All Star Game twice now within the first 25 uh, you know years or so of being in existence. And I think it's now time for Anaheim to host. And so I'm really yeah. pushing this right now. The Anaheim Ducks need to become. Uh, more visible in the hockey community. They sort of have, uh, for many years, sort of, you know, hidden in the shadows here of Southern California. But with the young crop of prospects that they have in their pool, and I've mentioned this sort of collision course that I think the Kings and Ducks are on, I think it's time, man. Uh, Especially with... uh, they call it OC Vibe, I think. It's not OC Live. It's OC yeah, Vibe yeah. or something OC Vibe, like that. Right, the correct. fantastic uh, development that they're going to be putting up around the arena. In the coming years, you have to think. I mean, they, they, they've already hosted the, the college hockey uh, series down at their new training facility in Irvine. Mm-hmm. But you have to think that in the coming years, they're going to have some college showcases. You know, bid on a Frozen Four or uh, get sure. the All-Star Game, get the draft. Let's get some more stuff going here in Southern California. Yeah, I don't know how they push for it. And plus, not only that, John, when these new teams come in, there's usually a promise of an all-star game or some big event. So, And again, I, you know, it's funny. I was talking to my buddy Simon Salikas on TSN 690. We're talking baseball. To me, I think it's just an insular thing that look, it's not a big market, John. Like north of Fountain Valley, like who cares, right? And that's no disrespect to anybody. They're, they're a very localized market. And they asked me about, you know, Otani. And I said, yeah, Otani is... A big story, but, you know, if the Dodgers won on a 12-game winning streak, the Dodgers on TV would lead the story. It mm-hmm. wouldn't be Otani hitting another 465-foot home run. Mm-hmm. So I think it's endemic to the actual 
market because it's a very small market. But I agree with you, all the development around it. Maybe it has something to do with the arena too, John. You know, it's a small arena. Uh, it shouldn't have anything to do with it. But and it's, again, I think if ownership and management isn't pushing hard for an all-star game, they won't get it because I know there's some really competitive markets out there that want that event. Yeah, I, you've made reference to it being small before. They can pack 17,000 in there. They do have two levels of suites. It seems small yeah. in comparison because Staples right. Center is, you know, it, it's like a city under one roof. It's so massive. It's, sure, you sure. Know, that and the United Center in Chicago would be the two that, you know, come to mind in terms of size. But, uh, look, I, I just I think there's a real opportunity, especially as the team, the Ducks team, uh, team becomes much better in the coming years. I think mm-hmm. there's a real opportunity to help Showcase. them you know, sort of grow their brand, if you will. But uh, yep. And I think it's great for Southern California hockey because you have Kings fans listening saying, you know, why are you pushing for that? Well, you know, those same fans would be the ones that would be lined up to get tickets to go. Of course. If the event was, in, you know, it's, it's just like we hear the complaints it's, about the, uh, the outdoor games. You know, why are you doing right. another outdoor game? But yet you and I, we've been to a few of them, many of them now, and, you know, we see the long lines of the concession stands, the long sure. lines of the souvenir trailer, the, you know, the sellouts with the tickets and whatnot, even at the inflated prices. So even in, right, even in the cold of Colorado Springs. But John, I, I think the weird point that you bring off is that they've never had an all-star game. Yeah. It's not like they haven't had one in 25. I mean, the right. franchise has been in existence since the early 90s. Not to ever have one, to me, that is, that is kind of unusual. It's time, DB. It is time. So, all right. It, agreed. With putting that to the side, uh, you mentioned uh, real quickly, I guess, before I move on also, since you're, you're giving me more food here, uh, you mentioned <laughs> the all-star games moving to other cities and some promises. Las Vegas, it was recently announced, and, and I think it kind of went under the radar yeah. because it happened during the playoffs, but... Apparently, Las right. Vegas is getting the All-Star game uh, next mm-hmm. season. So in, what, January of 2022. Yeah. So uh, I'd have to imagine that maybe we'll do a remote live uh, from All-Star weekend there oh, in Las yeah. Vegas. Live Kings of the Podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. Live Kings of the Podcast is actually the, the company that, that's our distributor, Blue Wire, has a studio at the Wynn. So that we could definitely and even bring maybe even some guests and stuff like that. But, yeah, so all my Canadian friends have already told me, like, they want a booth at the marquee at the Cosmopolitan during All-Star Weekend. So so believe me, the Canadian media will be flocking to Las Vegas uh, in January for the All-Star game. All right. Sounds good. Uh, will we see a return of the TFP gifting suite? It's been it's been a while since yes. we've seen one of those. Okay. Amen. Yes, we will, John. Absolutely. Yeah. All we right. plan to be on track for the All-Star game and for the awards, which will be even more fun. All right. So let Pan Yoda know then we'll have to order up uh, you know a case or two of some Kings of the Podcast t-shirts or mugs oh, or whatever 100%. and we can be part Absolutely. of the gifting suite I mean it won't be as nice as totally. some of the you know three hundred dollar uh, razors yeah. that are being given away exactly five hundred dollar belts but uh you know it, exactly it, it, it says all it needs to say db it, all you need is a black it's t-shirt that has a kotp logo and that's as cool that's as it. anything else they're going to get in my opinion k-t-o-p l-a-c-a let's go <laughs> well k-o-t-p yeah that's what i said <laughs> okay <laughs> Okay, uh, it's the New York action, John. As long as you didn't say KDOC, which is a TV station. No, I did not do that. No, 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 sir. Okay, let's move on. People are tired of us already. Uh, The expansion draft is coming up, Dennis. As we mentioned, it's coming up next Wednesday. The lists are due. Uh, I did put out, after talking to some sources throughout the week, what I believe is the final list for the LA Kings. Now, I say this knowing full well that the Kings, as we are recording this, could be making a trade that would cause uh, (laughs) some confusion. But here's the problem with the... uh, I just want to mention this. Here's the problem with making a trade now in the final 24 hours. It's two things. Number one, the LA Kings only have really one spot from which they can work with. They have one quote-unquote extra spot on their forward protection list. So if they acquire another player for 
prospects or for picks or basically for anything that's not listed, anybody that's not listed on the uh, protection list right now, that means that, they're, that they would have to add that player to the protection list. In other words, if you get another Arvidsson-type deal, then that player has to go on mm-hmm. the protection list. Sure. Now, you have a little bit of freedom because if you did a bigger deal and you included somebody like, and I'm just using this as an example, if you included an Adrian Kempe then you, or, or right. a Sean Walker, you're just swapping out the new player for that player that's currently there. Sure. So that's, that's the Kings' perspective. But you also have to keep in mind the other team, okay? Uh, like you saw Colorado right. make a move to New Jersey yesterday. The Kings, if they would have acquired that player, if they would have done the same deal, because I've seen the tweets, you know, where's Rob Blake on this? Of the course. Kings would have loved that player. Right, right, right. Okay, well, <laughs> in acquiring that player, they would have had to give up either Sean Walker or Matt Roy to make that deal right. work because they don't have an extra spot in their defensive spot. group on their list. So New Jersey had room. So again, right, when you're right. making these deals, there's, there, there are two teams to consider from the expansion uh, list protection. So here we go, DB. The LA Kings are set to protect. No surprise. They're going to go seven plus three plus one. This mm-hmm. is what we've been reporting for a while now. The one uh, goaltender would be Cal Peterson. Uh, you have Jonathan Quick will be exposed. All of their uh, basically, their their prospects uh, at goaltender are exempt from the process. Exempt. So Jacob Bingham can't be taken. Matt Volalta can't be taken, et cetera. Uh, I, I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. <laughs> Any surprise about selecting, or excuse me, of uh, protecting Cal and leaving Quick no. exposed? No, absolutely not. Right. That that's that was being assumptive since I don't know when since we started talking about the expansion. Right. Okay. Just had to ask though. Uh, wanted to give you the the forum to to speak your piece. Uh, defensively, they're going with three defensemen, so they are going with Drew Doughty to protect. They're going with Matt Roy and with Sean Walker. That means that by using those three, that means that they are going to leave exposed uh, guys like Oli Mata, Kale Clegg, and uh, Austin Strand. Etc. Mm-hmm. Do you have any surprises within the three defensemen that they're going to protect? No. Well, the man, it was a mandatory on Drew because he had his no movement clause. But no, no, no surprises at all. And I think it comes down to do they want a veteran defenseman in Mata or do they want the, the kid in Clay who's a puck mover? So, yeah. So, no, no surprise on those three. Okay. Uh, then among the forwards, this is really where the debate gets in because they had seven right. slots to protect. And I'm going to give them to you in alphabetical order, and then we can come back and we can talk about each of them individually. Uh, the seven forwards that the Kings are slated to protect, according to my sources, uh, Leas Anderson, uh, Victor Ardvidsson, Dustin Brown, Alex Iafalo, Adrian Kempe, Andre Kopitar, and Trevor Moore. Those are the seven forwards that they will protect, which means that among the forwards that they will be leaving exposed would be Andreas Antetokounmpo, Carl Grundstrom, Isimont, Ferk, Imama, Brendan Lemieux, Blake Lazat, Matt Luff, Drake Rimshaw, and Austin Wagner. So just to get to, to start from the top again, mm-hmm. uh, Leas Anderson, what I noted in the article that's up on Mayor's Manor is, yes, uh, some people might see this as a surprise because although he was a point-per-game player in the AHL and he had limited time in the NHL, there are two things to keep in mind. Uh, he's on he's on the protection list. He's also out of waivers, which means you would expect him to make the roster next season. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised that Leas Anderson is being protected compared to any of the other names that will be exposed? No, and what they spend for him, what, a second-round pick second for him? Round. So, no. Yeah, so, no, I, I don't think – and when you talk to some of the players, they really like his jam. They, you know, I know he's got some speed and skill, but they like his toughness around the net, so not surprised at all. Okay. Uh, Victor Arvidsson, I don't think there's much to say here. Obviously, when the Kings acquired him, they knew that they would be, uh, or the assumption was they would be protecting him. We had reported that day, I think it was July 1st, the day of the trade, we had reported that he would be replacing Carl Grunstrom on the list. 
uh, and that's exactly what ended up is going to end up happening, I should say, uh, based upon what we're hearing. So no surprise there, I'm assuming. Uh, DB, or do you have anything to add about Arvidsson being protected? No, he would have been in Seattle had he stayed in Nashville. Mm-hmm. They, they, were gonna un- they were not going to protect him. They had a conversation with Ronnie Francis, and he said, yeah, we're going to pick him. So they decided to get two picks for him, and that's a smart move by David Poyle. But no, no surprise here that Victor Arvidsson's here to stay, or at least <laughs> won't be uh, selected in the draft. All right, the next up, again, we're going alphabetically. Next on the list would be Dustin Brown. Now, I know this is probably going to be hard, but putting aside any personal bias or you know towards the player that you sure. might have, are you surprised that the Kings are opting to protect a 37-year-old player with one year left on his contract rather than protecting any of those names that I mentioned earlier, Grunstrom, Lazar, mm-hmm. Furk, etc.? Are you surprised? Who was the leading goal scorer last year? So based on that fact alone, John, no, I'm not surprised at all. They're doing the right thing here. Yeah. Um, I, I will say I do see – the point that other people are trying to make in saying, hey, man, why would you protect a 37-year-old forward? He wasn't protected in the last expansion draft when he would have been, most likely, he would have been a better target for Vegas at that point in his career, right? Because he had several years left in front Mm -hmm. of him. And, uh, I mean, two-time Stanley Cup champion, face of the franchise, all-around good guy. Would have been a great get for Vegas. We don't need to relive that, though. Um, Obviously, they did very well with taking Braden McNabb. But the point is, at 37 with one year left on his deal, what's the likelihood that Seattle takes him? While I would agree that the likelihood is very small, I don't care how small you want to make it, 10%, 5%, 1%, your point to me is really the biggest point, and that is he was the leading goal scorer on the LA Kings last year. This is a team that's looking for offense. They still have one more forward they're trying to get. Why would you take that gamble and take that risk? And I say this with respect to Carl Grunstrom, because he would be the guy that would replace Brown if you if you took Brown off the list. Yeah. Who are you more worried about losing going into next season if you're the GM or if you're Coach Todd McClellan? Are you more worried about Dustin Brown being gone or are you more worried about Carl Grunstrom being gone? The answer is clearly you're more worried about Dustin Brown being gone because he's you know, you're gonna have to replace his goal. So it's gonna give you yet another to do item for the summer mm-hmm. if in that one percent chance Ronnie Francis goes ahead and takes Dustin Brown. No, that's right. This is not Tampa Bay up against the cap. Like, there's no reason from a cap perspective. No, that's right. You lose him for nothing. Like, if Ryan Francis really wants him, then get something for him. Right. right? Don't lose him for nothing. That would be the. That would be so egregious. Like, I get that logic. Some of the logic, but to say to, to leave him exposed and then you would lose him for nothing to me, it just it, it would make zero sense. So yeah, look if they really wanted him, you do like David Paul did. You call up Ronnie Francis and say, look, okay, you want to pick, pick this guy? What what will you give us? But I, I I agree. I don't think it will make any sense. Look, would he be a great ad in that locker room? Yeah, but there are other guys that are going to be exposed, like a Mark Giordano, that can bring you know uh, veteran leadership to a room. So yeah, I have no problem with it. I can respect the argument. I can't back the argument for not protecting Dustin Brown. Yeah, I think that's that's well said there, DB. I, I can respect it, but I don't I don't agree with it. Uh, okay, next on the list would be mm-hmm. Alex Ayafalo. We've talked about him a lot over the last couple of months. Uh, I would say no surprise that Ayafalo is protected, especially after signing his new four year deal. He's kind of become the uh, the jackknife, the you know the Swiss Army knife, at least on the mm-hmm. left side. You can yep. play him first, second, or third line going forward. Any thoughts on Ayafalo being protected? No, it has to be protected. He's a top-line player on this team right now. Maybe not in the future, maybe he's a second-line player, but, yeah, you've got to protect him, and you got him at a good price. 
All right. So uh, next up, again, going in alphabetical order is Adrian Kempe. Uh, certainly seemed to earn the trust of Coach Todd McClellan this past season. And he, uh, like Ayafalo, he's shown that he can be effective in a couple different slots. Very curious going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, will he play right side, left side? Probably play, will play more wing than center. But he is a center that you have available uh, if you need going forward. Yeah, and he if you and you mentioned this, if he is part of a deal, you want to protect him from asset protection alone. Like you don't want to lose him right now. If you, if it, in two weeks he's going to be part of a major deal, then you have to keep him. So yeah, no surprise. And plus, you know, he look he had career high in goals last year and 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 acquitted himself well. So no problem at all. All right, so there you go, uh, Adrian Kempe. Two guys left here at forward. One is Andre Kopitar. I don't think there's anything to be said about this. Uh, we both would agree. And people are, are mistaken also. They think that he has a, a, a clause in his contract like Dowdy. He does not. He does no. not. They do not have to protect Kopitar um, from, a, from a contract standpoint, from any sort of a logic perspective, DB. And I don't even – you want to talk about not respecting? I don't respect anybody who wants to give me the argument. They should leave him protected because if he's selected, that will help them from a cap perspective. I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to buy that argument at all. So uh, anything at all to yeah. say about the captain number 11 being protected. No, that, that argument doesn't like that, – that's, that's – no. Let's, let's move on. Now, there's, there's absolutely no reason to. And yeah, you're right. He has, I, I think, a 7 or 18 on no-trade uh, list – uh, which would make it necessary to uh, to protect him. Uh, no, he doesn't need protection. Oh, he does need automatic protection. Yeah, he does yes, not need correct, automatic right. protection. But if they right, do decide correct. to trade him, at some, I'm, by the way, Kings fans, I'm not suggesting they will, but no. if they do decide to trade him at some point or entertain the idea of trading him, uh, DB is right. Uh, he has different levels of um, uh, modified no-trade clauses yes. that are part of his contract, and, and it changed halfway through the contract. So I think he has three years left on the deal, and over the final couple of years, Correct. it's different yes. than what it was at the beginning where he did have, for the first couple of years, I think, a no-move clause. So uh, Kopitar's yep. not going anywhere this summer, so we don't have to entertain that. We'll talk about that on episode uh, KOTP, episode 300, Dennis, which will be down the road. <laughs> yes, <soon>. exactly, John. <laughs> the last person, Dennis, uh, I do want to talk about for a moment on the list, which sure. is Trevor Moore. And I find Trevor Moore to be fascinating. I'm looking forward to having him on the podcast, hopefully uh, sometime this summer. He is slated to get married, I believe, uh, Cal Peterson told us a couple episodes back. Uh, Trevor Moore, of course, being from Southern California. I'm fascinated by Trevor Moore for a couple of reasons, DB. Number one, first and foremost, he was really thought of as like the afterthought, a a throw-in to the trade that Mm -hmm. came over uh, from Toronto. And he has acquitted himself quite well, really earned the trust of Coach Todd McClellan, found a role, had some success this season, then went on to play for Team USA at the World Championships. Dennis, he was on the top line, and he was playing center for some games. So, you know, he not only earned the trust of McClellan, but also was being put into a very significant role for Team USA at the World Championships at... And then I want to get into his contract status. But before I do, I just sure. wanted to get your response. Because a year ago, if you would have told me that Trevor Moore was going to be protected, I would have no laughed chance. you off the program, right? Right. And right. now he's on the list. I think your salient point, John, is that he built. He had a solid season, and he built on it at the World Championships. I watched those games. Yes, I did, John. Believe it or not, I did I did watch some of the World Championships. Yeah, and he had a, I, I just, a, had, to, I just had to get up yeah. off the floor. I'm floored by the fact you would admit yeah, that. Well, it's either CNBC or the World Championships. So, okay. um, so or TVG. We can get the horses later. Uh, but no, he built on his season at the World Championships. This is what you wanted to see. So there's been a lot of growth and development from this player, and I agree with you. And and you know, my my question to other people is like, okay, if you didn't protect him, like who goes on that list? Carl Grunstrom. I think Carl, I don't think there's a debate on those two. So uh, yeah, I, I think to your point, 
the, the season and the extended season he had in the World Championships, yeah, he, he earned the protection spot. Yeah, uh, it, it is pretty fascinating because, you, you know, Martin Furk, as an example, is somebody who I think would have challenged him uh, for that final mm-hmm. protection spot had he been healthy this year. You think about the beginning of the season, Furk was penciled in to play alongside Velarde. It didn't right. happen. The season was a wash for him. He was able to get in at the end of the year and play some games with Ontario. But it's just funny how, you know, uh, we see this throughout sports, not just in hockey. When one player is injured, how it really opens up an opportunity for other players, whether it's a depth player that's on that existing roster or a prospect to come in, to come in from the minor sure. leagues or something. And you, I think you could make the argument that Trevor Moore was able to leapfrog a guy like Martin Furk on the depth chart and maybe, quote unquote, take his spot on the protection list. Agreed. 100%, John. And, and, and I give him full credit for that, which now gets us to the contract, yep. DB. Go ahead. He is an RFA. Uh, the Kings are in sort of a precarious position with Trevor Moore because they love the player. They like the player. McClellan, Blake, management, etc. They like the player. Obviously, the player wants to stay here uh, from everything we've heard uh, and, and you know, talk to people connected to his camp. He loves it here, wants mm-hmm. to be here. He's you know, a SoCal guy. But there is a problem. He is an unrestricted free agent here he's eligible, I should say, to become an unrestricted free agent next summer. So you're in that right. tricky position. It's not like all the other RFAs, really, that they're dealing with right now or will be dealing with this summer. Um, he could be an unrestricted free agent. So it's not about just, like, you know, qualifying him, which he does have art mm-hmm. rights, but it's not about qualifying right. him and then getting through this season because he'll be a UFA next year. And if he is able to sustain or even build yeah. upon the season that he just had, D.B., What's that number going to look like next summer versus mm-hmm. what the number looks like this summer? So if you go to him now, uh, the Kings, I believe, are looking to offer him a two- or three-year deal from what I'm hearing. Sure. If the Kings are trying to buy out or buy down the second and third year, you right. are going to have to pay for that. That's just normal. That's for any player, right? So mm-hmm. what, what would you do if you were the GM right now with Trevor Moore? Do you, do, do you gamble and do you say, hey— you did it for one year. Let me see you do it again, mm-hmm. and we'll talk next year when you're a UFA. Do you gamble, or do you try to overpay right now to lock him up for three years instead of just the one? Well, John, given that there's a lot of wings in the system, I would try to get a one-year deal done, qualify him if you can, and, and roll the dice. Mm-hmm. And Trevor Moore blows up. Like, like, look, should you pay him more than Adrian Kempe? Adrian Kempe is getting $2 million a year. So, so why are you paying Trevor Moore? Like more mm-hmm. than Kempe? I don't think so. Because on this team fully baked, John, like, you know, two seasons out, where is Trevor Moore? He's the fourth RW3. Line okay, yeah, fourth, well, there you line. go. Okay. I mean, so, if, if you're Trevor yeah. Moore or you're his agent, maybe you're arguing he's the third uh, line third, winger. Yeah. But I think mm-hmm. with Iafalo in front of you and with the prospects coming, I think that's a yep. – I wouldn't feel comfortable agreeing that Trevor Moore is a third-line player. I, I understand why he might think that's where he's headed, but... Right. I, 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 I think the deal would be, if it's two years, John, I think three million over two, one and a half. Uh-huh. I mean, give him a raise, whatever. But I, I can't see more because, again, you're going to assume that you're going to have other wingers emerge here from the system. So, yeah, I'm not going to overpay this player off. And you're right about one thing. It's, it's one season. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a non playoff season. If this team does get better and he gets better with the team, then you want to reward him, sure. But but I think you got to pick your spots here because at some point in time, um, you're going to have to pay a bunch of people a bunch of money. So not 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 very soon. But I think that's that's I think my outlook on Trevor Moore. No disrespect to the player, but again, he's a bottom six guy. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, none of these conversations are about disrespect. It, to me, it, it's a fascinating sort of look because this is one of the more difficult decisions from a contract mm-hmm. standpoint that they need to get done this summer. They have most of their contracts done. They, ha- they do have some RFAs that need to get done, but you can qualify sure. some of those guys and you can, you can sort of push some of those decisions out. But to me, this is the really one of the key decisions from a contract standpoint, short of bringing in a free agent um, that Blake is going to have to make this summer. So pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, I, I would agree with you i probably would want to go on a two-year deal three years feels a little bit too long unless it was yeah. you know unless it was down around a million per year and i don't i just sure. don't think that more is going to be interested in uh, one yep. million a year for three years he's going to think sure. hey if that's the, how quote-unquote low i'm going to be paid i think i'd rather just go to free agency in one or two years and take my chances yep. i get the feeling i get the sense that he would just bet on himself at that point but uh you know mm-hmm. what, DB? Uh, we're going to have him on the program hopefully this summer, and we can talk about that. And who knows? Maybe he will already have a contract in hand, and he can he can fill us hopefully. in on um, yep. how it came to be, how that how he crossed that bridge. After the expansion draft, uh, Dennis, we're going to have the NHL entry draft. There could potentially be some trades going on there, but uh, free agency is right around the corner, and the LA mm-hmm. Kings are probably not very interested in most of the UFAs. Uh, that are out there. I don't see them in on Dougie Hamilton. I don't see them in on several of the other big names, but there is one big name that Kings fans are starting to drool over. Surprisingly, it looks like Gabriel Landeskog is not going to be able to come to some sort of a deal with the Colorado Avalanche team. So I know you have some thoughts on this. Go for it. Yeah, so well, they're lowballing them right now. I think the last offer was probably $6.5 for four years. (laughs) <laughs> for a 70-point player who's the captain of the team. It, it's And I know, I believe the camp, Landy's camp off, uh, countered on Monday off that offer, and there's been nothing. So it's, it's where it's headed. Because, John, I think in the big picture, like the chickens are starting to come home to roost because Joe Sackick had easy money for a long time. He has, you know, Nate McKinnon at 6'3". He, has Gabe, he had Gabe at 5'5". Five five, but now he's got this headache. Now he's got to pay McCarr. What are you going to pay McCarr, right? You got Groog Bauer as a free agent. What are you going to pay him? So it, he's getting in the same boat with the other 31 GMs that it's not that easy in the flat cap world of how you're going to pay these players. Um, the, from what I've been able to ascertain, I don't think Los Angeles is, is, um, is an option for... For Gabe, I just get the sense in, in talking to people that that's not where where this team is right now in their development. I, I don't think it's an option for for Gabe Landeskog at this point in time. So, I, I think, will the Kings reach out? I would. I think you would too. I know you love the player. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's a destination right now for Gabe Landeskog. Now, I do want to ask you about, and we've got. I'm sure you've gotten tweets about this, John. What about Parisian? More specifically, what about Ryan Suter? I, I'd like you to address that. specifically Suter because he's a left side D. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's an interest in Zach Parise. I think that uh, he would. I mean, that would. I don't even think that would be Plan A, B, or C. Uh, right. I think if they were to pick up a player like like that uh, at this point in his career, you know, thirty-five plus type deal, I think you're looking well after they've explored mm-hmm. all of their options. There's no reason for them sure. to add a Zach Parise. Like you can argue all you Agreed. want about the the upside. Oh, sign him for a million dollars. He's gonna have a chip on his shoulder and blah 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 blah. But yeah, why do you need to do that? The Kings have every right. option in their treasure chest. They have the salary cap to be able to do whatever they want. They have the the prospect pool to be able to do whatever they want. They have the extra draft right. picks this year and next year to be able to do what they want. They should be weaponizing that stuff to vastly improve the team if they're serious about making the playoffs. Now, that being said, right. if you did sign Parisi and he did come back and have a bounce back year, 
um, and he, he was able to help you get in the playoffs, that's great, and it's not the end of the world that Blake didn't weaponize that stuff because he still would have all of those assets in his arsenal that sure. he could weaponize at the trade deadline or next summer as they continue to take that next step. And people, myself included, love the, the Dean Lombardi you know, parallels and sort of where they are on the, on the arc. Uh, this is 2010. Mm-hmm. This is not 2012. So it, it doesn't have to be the time to right. go all in, even though that's the sexy no. move. So I don't think Parisi is really an option. Now, that being said, you asked about also about uh, Suter. I don't think that Ryan Suter, from a, from a makeup as a person, is the right type of personality to add into the room at this particular time. Um, I, I, does he, would he fit? Could he, be, could, he, could he play? I'll say this. He's been very consistent, Dennis. I tweeted this out the other day. Yes. He's been a very consistent offensive uh, uh, you know, uh, producer throughout his career. Mm-hmm. So if you can get Ryan Suter to come in and give you 40 points from the back end, um, you know, that, that certainly moves him up the option list of things to do. Sure. You know, it, it is a very short-term solution, though. It's, it's a one-year deal. It's not a two-year. It's not a three-year. If you have to go two years, I mean, okay. But here's the thing, Dennis. We saw this in previous lockouts as well. Certain players, and I'm just going to say players over a certain age. I don't, pick a number. I don't care. Over 33. Sure. Whatever the number is you want to pick. Certain players come out of extended time off. And they are better for it because their bodies have right. recovered from injuries and whatnot. And Drew Doughty kind of argued that point and said, hey, man, I'm in the best shape. This is coming into 2021 that I've ever been in. But we've seen this with other guys as well, that the first year back after a long layoff with these lockouts, and I think that's the closest parallel to the pandemic, they had a significant drop off. It took them longer to ramp up and mm-hmm. get back into the things. Some guys never came back from it, Dennis. They just right. they were never the same player. That, that was it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it was it, right? And other guys, the first year back was wonky, but then the second year they kind of rebounded a little bit and they became, I'll call, closer to what they were. I don't sure. know. Like, like, what is Suter? Is he going to become closer to what he was before in this you know, second season out of the extended time off? I just don't see yeah. him as the, uh, as the long-term solution. He would be a bridge, and he certainly would accomplish the goal, Dennis, short-term, this which is, is the it last pushes minute Olimata of play in to the become period. the seventh D. And it makes mm-hmm. their group of six better. But but it was when was in the plan to acquire a thirty five or thirty six year old defenseman on the top pair? Like that's never like been part of the plan, right, John? I mean, no, that's my not, point. No, no. Here's the thing. You're, it's a good point. Good point. And this is where I think I said this a couple shows ago that people people get lost in in the in the headlines, but you have to get into the context of it. So if you pull up that Jack Eichel article that I wrote, where I said here mm-hmm. are the King's summer plans, and Eichel doesn't factor into it. I said there's, a, there's, there's two prongs. They're kind of on parallel tracks right now. There's two prongs to the defensive plan. The right. big picture plan is everybody knows that because that's the headline. They want that dynamic 24-year-old right, left shot right. D, the guy who can provide offense and play mm-hmm. on the left side. The thing of it is, though, they're willing to be patient. And if that player... Timing. If the, mm-hmm. Yeah, timing. If that player is not available today meaning this summer when I say today. If that right. player is not available right now, they're willing to go into next season and wait for that player to become mm-hmm. available at the trade deadline or even next summer because they don't have to push all their chips to the middle of the table right now to get that player. So that's the right. big-picture player that they want. If that player doesn't materialize this summer, their backup plan, short-term plan, mm-hmm. is to get a bridge defenseman. And I think I joked a couple episodes ago, and if it wasn't here, I apologize. It was on a radio spot. I, I, I referred to it as a better Ben Hutton, meaning 
Mm-hmm. It's a depth defenseman. Yeah. I, I view the guy as a second-pairing guy, maybe a third-pairing guy, right, uh, right. more than I do a first-pairing guy. I know they want to take some minutes away from Mikey Anderson and Bjornfoot and kind of let them you know, more fully develop, let them blossom a little bit. So if it's a suitor or if it's any of these other bridge players for one or two years, it, it, that guy could be on the top line at times. Um, but that's the answer to your question. It's, it's, sure. the, the plan was never to get a 35-year-old-plus player, but the plan was, the backup plan, was to get a bridge defenseman. So that's, I think, mm-hmm. where Suter comes in. Great. Great answer. All right, DB, uh, we have a New Jersey-themed episode today because uh, the music is largely New Jersey-selected, so fans can enjoy that. But also, uh, coming up in the third period, we have John Madden, who, of course, was a three-time Stanley Cup champion, twice with the New Jersey Devils. A fascinating uh, difference between these two guys. One player was never drafted. The other player was a highly sought-after prospect and uh, was really one of the key pieces to the Tyler Toffoli trade when the Kings made that deal. So coming up after the break, we'll talk to Tyler Madden, and after that, we'll talk to his dad, John Madden. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast. We are joined now by one of the rising stars in the LA Kings prospect pool. He was acquired in a deal that sent Tyler Toffoli to Vancouver last year. We'll get into that and uh, a lot more. Tyler Madden, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. You know, now we haven't actually spent enough time around you because of this whole quarantine and and pandemic thing. Do you go by Tyler or do you go by Ty? A little bit of both, mostly Tyler. And then obviously the guys on the team just call me mad, so... Okay, well, we, we didn't want to go with the full Tyler, uh, and, you know, make it sound like we were your parents coming down on you if that was the case. So we'll, uh, we'll jump around. Uh, we'll do it all over the place. But uh, you're back in L.A. training. Um, I'm assuming it's good to be around some of the guys and just uh, be back here in SoCal? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've only been here for, uh, I think, four days now, but it's good to see some of the guys again and, uh, you know, get back at it. So Now, uh, before we even get into the hockey stuff, a lot of your uh, teammates there on the Ontario Reign, they've been headed over to House of Ink in Venice and getting done up with some ink. Have you, have you made a few stops over there yet? Uh, I went over when uh, Turcotte got his tattoo uh, just to kind of meet, uh, meet the guy and kind of see uh, what he was getting and stuff. But uh, I think I have something in the works. I'm trying to figure it out right now, but we'll see. Did you have to hold Turk's hand? Was he a little bit nervous? Yeah, he was a little nervous, but we he got we got him through it. So, yeah, he uh, he came on the program just to to level set here. He came on the program I think a week or two after getting his first tattoo, and he said that he was done. He wasn't going to get any more. And then lo and behold, like two weeks, he was already back getting more done. So something changed along the way. Yep, for sure. I mean, I've been in. His, I know when I got here, he had just gotten the two uh, small ones, and then I kind of you know he saw a couple of mine that I already have and. Uh, he, he ended up getting his family crest, uh, kind of like a, how I have. And so I think I've been nudging him into it a little bit. 
So what you're saying is he's just copying whatever you're doing. <laughs> no, no, no. I gave him the idea. He asked if it was okay. all right. <laughs> but it's great. But it definitely uh, his his is a his is a little bit newer than mine, so his looks better right now. So it's a little it, you know pisses me off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's hopscotch around a little bit, and um, we'll. You know, college hockey is not really a thing here in Southern California yet. Of course, college hockey is working its way towards the West Coast with the ASU program really taking off the last couple of years. But just try to put into words and explain to people in Southern California how big the bean pot is back there in Boston. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. I, the only thing I can compare it to is like a national championship in, a, in the sense of how many fans uh, we have there in the garden, the energy that we have uh, there and then you also have your students there supporting you and uh you know it's it's just a great environment and it's a really big deal there uh you only have to win two games to win it but when you win it it feels like you just played a set or a seven game series and came out on top so now jumping ahead to uh, we'll get to the trade and stuff like that but uh, how about berlin you're over there in berlin now you had the the injury in college then you go to berlin then you end up getting injured again how frustrating was that you'd already been dealing with the pandemic for what six months or so i would imagine you were excited to get over to berlin but then you never really got a chance to get going much over there yeah i was over there with the guys uh for a good amount of it uh and obviously we did training camp, their training camp there, did, had some scrimmages and such. Uh, and then unfortunately that first game, first shift actually too, I ended up breaking my same finger again. So that was kind of it for me over there. But I had a great time. Uh, the guys over there are awesome and obviously got to meet some of my uh, soon-to-be teammates and our teammates now. So. Now, we had, uh, we had a couple of your, your, your teammates live from Germany on the program. So we brought on Dudas. We brought on, uh, I think, Jacob Bingham. Turk didn't come on until he was back home. And Akil, I think, after as well. But uh, we asked uh, Dudas and Ingham about this. There was the picture of you guys over there. And those two knuckleheads are <laughs> drinking wine. You're drinking beer. Who goes all the way to Germany to drink wine? <laughs> I don't know. They kept uh, We went out to a nice Italian place. And, you know, I, I get it. You know, it, it's... it's uh, Italian and you know you get your wine and stuff but I just they didn't drink much beer over there I don't understand I I I was trying all the different kinds and seeing what it was about because I heard so much about it but they would always you know venture off and drink their uh, little little drinks there (laughs) (laughs) their little drinks I love it Uh, now the other thing that they when they were on the program that they were talking about was sort of the fashion sense and they all wanted to weigh in because I think Dudas thought that he was the best dressed of everybody and then there was some debate and I know you want to weigh in on this so so who had the real style game besides Akil we know that when it comes to style no one's going to compete with Akil right we heard he was over there making his own jeans or something in the uh in the apartment or in the hotel there What, what about your style game where did you land in all that yeah i mean they'll they can say what they want to say they said some things about my style and uh, i like my style but i mean i think dudes has probably the best style out of all of us over there um but he's he's been trying to help me out and you know he's gonna take all the credit for it but i think my style is pretty good and uh you know he didn't he didn't think so so uh, you know (laughs) when he came back from berlin i i uh we had a little laugh about it but it was it was funny uh to hear that you know, Ty, at some point in time, you'll be a legacy NHL player. Your dad was in the league for 10 years, won three cups. But, and the assumption would be your dad's responsible for your success. But who else other than your dad 
uh, John, would be responsible for where you got to with respect to your game so far? Yeah, I think there's probably uh, there's a lot of people for sure, but uh, mm-hmm. just off the top of my head, uh, a guy that I've been skating with, Paul Vincent uh, in Cape Cod and Mass, uh, he was a huge help in to helping me get to where I am now. He, I started skating with him when I was 15 years old, and I still go back for at least a week every a week to three weeks every uh, year to get some uh, good foundations with him. So I think he's definitely one of them. And then also in college, I mean, I think Jerry Keefe uh, and Jim Madigan, sure. but mostly Jerry Keefe just because he was working the forwards. We had a lot of time together, and we, uh, you know, he kind of made me – a little bit more confident in myself and my game. And I think that's why I excelled so much at the college level. Trades are always difficult for any player. You you're going to have one of the more unique stories in the sense that you were traded then the pandemic hit. So you really weren't ever allowed to connect with the team that, that traded for you. Just what was the whole experience? Like, did you know leading into it that there was a good chance coming into the trading deadline or the trade deadline that, you know, you could have been moved. Were you surprised that you were included in the deal? Just anything about the whole trade experience from your perspective? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I was surprised. I wasn't expecting it at all. I just uh, think it was two days after I just hurt my f- or uh, broke my finger, and I was sitting in uh, my dorm room in Boston and started getting some calls. And I was, I think we were watching a movie or something with my roommates, and I kept declining. Like I think I declined like three, and then finally I picked up one and. You know, I got the news from uh, my my agent and told me what happened, and I was just shocked by it. Um, and then fast forward, you know, a couple of days, it just kind of sunk in that, you know, who I was traded for. Obviously, Tyler Toffoli was a great player in uh, L.A. and then obviously just made that huge playoff run. So, you know, it's it's always nice to be in a trade with somebody like that for sure. You know, Ty, a lot of Vancouver fans were upset when that trade. I got the news, and people going, "Wow, that like, why did they trade that prospect?" Were you aware of the social media response to your trade from the Vancouver side? Um, a little bit. I mean, obviously, Twitter and stuff. You get tagged sure. in a bunch of things, but for the most part, I try to stay away from it. But yeah, I did see that they were upset. I mean, I loved Vancouver. Uh, the time I was there, you know, treated very well by the fans and was uh, well liked with them. So. Uh, I'll always have a soft spot for them, for sure. Now, a couple of minutes ago, DB was mentioning your dad, and we're going to have him on the same program here in a little bit. Um, But before he joins us, how about you have an opportunity to talk a little bit about him? I'm I'm curious. I'm always wondering, you know, they make such a big deal in the world of hockey about bloodlines. So there has to be, obviously, the positive side to having your dad as a former NHL player. He's going to be able to provide you with a lot of expertise and insight that you know the average nhl prospect doesn't have but what about the the downside of it at all do you know do you ever sort of feel like or did you feel like at certain points you were living in his shadow or anything like that yeah for sure i mean just uh you know because of how great he was i mean when i started getting a little bit older and uh you know when i was probably we were living in minnesota at the time uh i was trying out for the uh town team in medina there and you know, that I would always get the odd sayer that would just say that I made the team because of my dad, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I always got that even in uh, high school as well. So, I mean, it's just something I've had to deal with. I wouldn't say it's, uh, you know, a, a bad thing because it kind of get it kind of lit a little fire underneath me to, you know, prove them wrong and be my own player. Along those lines, um, 
obviously now you're happy to be part of the Kings. You were happy at the time to be selected by Vancouver, but heading into the draft, uh, was there any sort of inclination, not inclination, was there any sort of thought at all on your part of like, wow, I hope the team that drafts me is one of my dad's former teams because you had any sort of a, a family connection or an emotional connection to one of those teams? Or was it the opposite? Like, hey, man, I want to be drafted by a different team. I'll do respect to those other teams, but I want to carve my own path and I want to try to make my own, you know, uh, memories with the Madden name, maybe with a different NHL club. Yeah, for sure. I think you nailed it right on the head there. That's exactly kind of the way I went about it. Uh, I mean, I, I obviously getting drafted to any team is special, but like you said, I, I always wanted to kind of do my own thing. And, you know, obviously my dad went to college as well. And I did kind of went uh, out east instead of going uh, in the west where my dad played at Michigan. And, you know, I've always tried to not stay away from where he's been, but kind of, like you said, create my own way of uh, making it there and make my own path and be remembered uh, for myself. Mm hmm. You know, tough season for you in Ontario for the team to start, but but what did you learn on the Coach Robo, and how did your game progress over over time? Talk. Yeah, I think uh, just from Robo to start, I mean, he's a great coach. He's always attention to detail and everything, and I think at the pro level, that's the biggest thing. And uh, we had a great talk at the end of the year, uh, you know, talking about what I got to get better at and everything. But even throughout the year, he was always great. Uh, a lot of A lot of praise for him especially for his first year as a coach, he, he stepped up and did really well. And, uh, you know, for me, I think this year was a little bit of a, a learning, learning curve. Uh, I also, you know, got hurt uh, a little bit through the season. So uh, missed a good chunk of it. So I think this year was just kind of learning uh, the ins and outs of pro hockey a little bit more and what it means to be a, be a pro. Hey, uh, speaking of Robo here, just uh, when I asked him about you, he, he's, you know, we've been mentioning, you know, you and your father and just influences and things like that. Um, he, he thought that it's pretty funny how different you guys are. He said, hey, John was told that he was that he wasn't good enough. Tyler's been a pretty hot prospect. John went through a wall to get there. Tyler will hop that wall or find a way underneath it. Uh, he said that he bets you guys are probably best friends, but have a lot of different outlooks on the game. And uh, he always admires John's path. And, of course, we all know that he thinks the world of you because he talked you up any chance that, that he could last year. Um, I, I'm just curious for your response to sort of what Robo had to say there. Yeah, I mean, obviously when a coach talks to you or talks about you like that, I mean, that's just unbelievable to hear from me, obviously, every time. Uh, you know, he still is hard on me because he, you know, knows that I have a little bit more to give all the time. And uh, that's also one of the reasons why I think I can do so well here is because he's going to be the one pushing me a lot of the times to uh, get to that next level. And Todd, is there any player currently in the NHL playing that is a comparison to you when you watch them play, you're saying, okay, that's, that's my type of style. I'd like to be that type of player. Yeah. I, I think uh, Mitch Marner comes to mind. I, I mm -hmm. watch him a lot. Um, and I just think he's just a 200, obviously a 200 foot player, but also has that skill. And I think that's kind of like me and he's not a very big guy, um, but he's willing to pay the price and, uh, and he's, and he can make plays. That's the one thing I, I noticed about him is that, you know, obviously Matthews is there too, but he, sure. he, uh, he's the one who's really making those plays and seeing, seeing things ahead of time. And uh, it's just fun to watch him. And I think that's somebody that I can play like and try to play like for sure. And, and maybe get a contract like him too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hopefully. 
Uh, we'll get we'll, a couple more Ontario rain questions in a minute, but I do want to just uh, jump back to the World Juniors, if you don't mind. I'm such a big World Juniors guy. I was there in Vancouver uh, with Team USA, and I'm I'm curious when you ended up in LA, you see a familiar face there uh, in John Gomez. That probably had to be at least a little bit comforting, knowing that you were coming to a new team, and at least you had one person that you could relate to and talk to. For sure. I mean, he reached out. I want to say the next day after the trade happened, and you know, that's just always a nice thing because we, we had a, a good amount of time uh, up in Vancouver when we were there for the tournament to talk and stuff. And, you know, he's a great guy, and it was just nice to hear from him and that I'd be seeing him out there. So when I did come out and did all the, uh, you know, the video uh, stuff there and pictures and whatnot, and he was there, it was good to connect with him for sure. And, I mean, just think about the number of Kings prospects. You didn't necessarily know it at the time, or, well, I guess for a few of them you did, but you had Mikey Anderson there, uh, Kapari. What do you, and I'm not trying to, to rub in, uh, you know, the silver medal, but what do you remember about that gold medal game? Because uh, it was one of the more exciting World Junior games for sure, even though Team USA came up on the wrong side of it. What do you remember about that game and going up against, or even do you remember seeing Kapari over there on the other side? Yeah, I mean, it's all kind of a blur now thinking back on it. But obviously when I came here or when I was coming here, uh, I uh, looked at some of the prospects that were here and I saw Coops' name and, you know, uh, he was around or he's the same age as me and played for Finland. So I was I was like wondering, well, did I play against him? And sure I did. And, you know, we, we've talked about that game a lot, but I don't remember much about it. I just remembered uh, kind of blacking out because it was a gold medal game, and it's kind of one of was one of my dreams to win that. So, mm-hmm. um, but it, it was definitely fun, and it, it's just funny how our paths kind of crossed there, and then again here. So, enough about hockey, Ty. Let's know a little bit about, more about you. Did you finally get a car? I think last summer you did a Zoom. You don't have a car yet? Yes, I do. I do have a car now. <laughs> Which one? What is it? Come on, tell us. I model, have, uh, the model. Uh, jeep rubicon the uh, new one the 2021 one so pretty nice no complaints about it it's awesome taking uh, any road trips yet gone anywhere with it i'm um, not really just haven't really uh you know had some time uh to really drive around anywhere but uh obviously just i mean me and turks we we've we've gone shopping a couple of times down uh in uh where uh Where's that uh, street there? Uh, oh, I can't even remember. Oh, Rodeo Drive. He makes me oh, drive okay. him down there a little bit, and we go <laughs> shopping around. So. Pricey, bro. That's a pricey area that's, you went to, that, man. You picked it up top of the food chain. Yeah, that's. What I'm. I mean, I don't touch anything there, so <laughs> I'm, I like to save my money. So, um, but yeah, you know, it's been nice for sure. Now let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Ontario Rain here. We'll uh, we'll wrap things up, and like I mentioned earlier, we have your dad coming on the other side of the break. He's going to join us. That'll be good. A double Madden episode. Um, obviously, the the low point of the season would be the hit in uh, up at San Jose, and and just how frustrating was it trying to get back? You were you were fortunately able to uh, come back there at the at the end of the season, but how frustrating was it to sit there on the sidelines, worried about your health, obviously, but then um, you know not being able to contribute to the team and uh, turn that season around. Yeah, I think that's one of the most frustrating things in sports. I mean, I went through it in uh, college with my finger at the end of the year, and that's when I realized how shitty it really is to be sitting in the stands and uh, kind of have no say on whether you can play or not. And obviously with broken finger and the broken collarbone, it was uh, it was tough to go through. But 
it was just nice uh once I finally had the surgery and came back to the rink it was just nice being around the guys but I think for sure I mean it's tough not being out there with them and then when I finally got back for the couple of games it was unbelievable so disappointing end of the season as well uh, you have the, the one and done playoff game which was a back and forth game um, a game that easily could have been won by Ontario but did it feel in a sense to you that it was kind of like unfinished business right you had been on the sidelines so long you finally get back in you get a couple games under your belt I think you came back in Tucson got a couple under your belt then the playoff game and then it's over with mm-hmm. yeah definitely for sure I mean I worked really hard to try to come back uh, for the end of the season I was hopefully going to come back the week before Tucson didn't end up happening and was only able to come back for those two regular season games in Tucson and then right into the playoffs so only getting three at the end was kind of disappointing was hoping to you know make a run for it in the playoffs and uh, getting to play some more games for sure but you know everything happens for a reason I think this next year I think we're obviously have a lot of guys coming back in so I think we kind of have a little little uh, itch itch uh, on our asses to get back to uh, the playoffs and make a little push. All right. Just a couple more to finish up here. Let's go with some word association. I'll say a player's name and you say the first thing that comes to mind. Sound good? Okay. Sounds good. Byfield. Kid. Akil Thomas. <laughs> um, messy. <laughs> really? <laughs> I lived with him. I lived with him. I lived with him. Okay. Fantastic. How does he have time to be messy? He's too busy doing yoga and all of his, uh, you know, m- mental hey, stretches and everything. I don't know, but he does. Okay. All right. It's fine. Uh, Turcotte. Uh, stylish. Leah Anderson. Um, hmm. That's a good one. <laughs> Fast. All right. Kapari. Innocent. I'm going to go off the board with this one. J.F. Barube. Dad. I love it. Uh, last one then here. Anything about the number? So you've been wearing 27. I know your dad wore 10 and 11. You wore nine in college. Where are you out on the whole number thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, 27 was kind of just given to me here, and I'm fine with it. I actually don't mind it at all. Um, but I usually wear number nine. Uh, it's the day I was born on, and uh, or 11 or 10 because my dad wore it. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> All right. Uh, last question then is about Jonathan Quick. You played at Avon Farms like Quickie did. Uh, yeah. Have you guys had a chance to talk about that at all? Yeah, we did. Uh, when I first got back, I think it was either in the uh, summer when I came back from Berlin or it was uh, leading up to camp. Either way, um, we got to chat a little bit about it and about his time there and my time there and, you know, some of the people that are still hanging around there. And then obviously John Gardner's there, the uh, head coach of the hockey team there he's been there for a while and uh, it was just nice to you know I've, I haven't seen a lot of Avon guys in a while so it was nice to see one for sure Ty it's taken you a long time to come on the program uh, this is your first appearance how, how do you feel you want to rate it on a scale of one to ten how'd you do I think I did well but I'd like Take- to come back for sure <laughs> all right go uh, go have a summer thank you for joining us today we appreciate it go enjoy the rest of your summer get some training in come back with some cool stories you can uh, trip Turk out a bunch when you come back uh, maybe we'll have you on right before training camp and we can catch up going into next season how does that sound perfect sounds good to me all right there we go Tyler Madden on the other side of the break we'll talk to his dad we'll talk to former NHL player three-time Stanley Cup champion John Madden right after this
Welcome back. Third period of Kings of the Podcast. And uh, fresh on the heels there, uh, just before the break, we were talking with Tyler Madden, LA Kings prospect. Now we're joined by his dad, three-time Stanley Cup winner. And uh, we'll get into a lot of that, as well as what he's been doing since hanging up the skates, talking about John Madden, who's now an assistant coach with San Jose. John, how are you doing? Great. How are you guys? We're doing okay. Now, am I supposed to call you Mads? Because it's going to be rather confusing. Ah. Uh. Yeah, well, that's what you call Ty now, right? So you call me John. So okay. At some point, it. yeah, you, you at some point you have to leave that behind, right? And then you just you become John at that point. Yeah, everybody in San Jose calls me John or Johnny. So. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, only my mom calls me Johnny. Other than that, nobody else calls me Johnny. I've so maybe maybe I need to bring that back. Um, let's start with the Stanley Cups. I mean, you you won three cups. Uh, I have to ask: when you saw the Stanley Cup all bent up in Tampa Bay recently, what was going through your mind? Uh, actually it happened. Um, it didn't happen to me, but I know it happened a few times. So, uh, it's bound to happen with all the, uh, the partying going on. So, uh, you know, they'll, they'll fix it up and they'll, they'll repair it and get it all back to normal for the next guy. So you didn't seem to be too, too worked up about it then. It was like just, uh, par for the cor- little, par for the course. It was, yeah. It was a little more banged up than, than what I've seen, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there was a couple of things and dents in it, but, uh, yeah, that one. That one's going to leave a mark, I think. Yeah. Um, I've been rather busy this week. I haven't checked the news. Uh, I, I am curious, though, how it did get that bent up. Um, maybe the story's already come out, but it looks like it was run over by a Mack truck or something. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty insane. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, it, I, I really don't know. I didn't follow up as well. I don't know the full story. Um, uh, last The picture I saw was uh, Paparoon with it, so... Uh, I'm not sure what exactly happened. <laughs> well, he's, he's won three in a row. He's allowed to do whatever he wants at this point. I mean, it's just his world. We're all living in it. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing uh, accomplishment by him. That's that's great. Now, you're an assistant with the San Jose Sharks. Uh, Ty is not officially part of the LA Kings big club yet. He's not on the NHL roster, but he is with the organization and um, has certainly strengthened his ties to the organization uh, by being part of the AHL club this year after, you know, sort of sitting on the sidelines during the pandemic in 2020. So I'm just curious, has the chirping started at all yet? You know, King Sharks, is it, have you guys ramped that up yet or not really? Not, not really. Um, you know, I, I think the only thing that back home that we, we had was, uh, you know, my daughter would wear a Sharks t-shirt and tie be like, what are you doing with that on? Get a <laughs> LA Kings one on. So, or my wife would. So, uh, yeah, that's probably the only thing we got going right now. I think things will wrap itself up uh, when time makes his, hopefully makes his debut this year and, and, and sticks there. So uh, I think when we're actually on the same ice service in the NHL, or sorry, when I'm behind the bench and he's playing against me, I think things will wrap up for sure. Yeah, I thought you were breaking some news there. Maybe you were making a comeback. I, I was excited. You're going to be on the <laughs> ice, and so is he. It's a, you guys are facing off. <laughs> that's funny. No, the legs went a long time ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I wish I could, but that's not happening. Okay. Uh, his coach, John Robleski, Robo, of course, here in Southern California, um, he shared some some stuff with me uh, prior to Ty coming on, and I asked him about this. I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, just sort of, he was mentioning sort of the, um, the differences between the two of you as a player. He said, John... Uh, was told that he wasn't good enough. Uh, he was referring to your college coach. And then he said, Ty's been a pretty hot prospect. John went through a wall to get there. Ty will hop that wall or find a way to get underneath it. And he said he bets that you guys are best friends, but you guys view the game pretty differently, maybe off the ice. Uh, of course, he did pass along some compliments as well. He always admired you as a, as a, as a player. And um, we all know he thinks the world of Ty. I'm just curious, your, your reaction to hearing that stuff coming from Robo. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's pretty accurate in everything he said. Um, you know, I, I think when 
when I left college, just first and foremost, you know, Rev Aarons and just, you know, we, we, he was just basically looking out for my, my, uh, my future and, you know, finish your degree and all that stuff. And, you know, it kind of, maybe I took a little out of context back then of you're not going to make it. Um, but, uh, he was just looking for all, making sure that I took care of myself, even if I didn't make it. But, uh, moving forward, yeah, Ty and I, we've, we went down different paths. Um, we've, we've done things differently. Um, I know that Ty was always an offensive guy, um, growing up. And I think some people missed that a little bit with me. And, um, you know, I, I scored goals in, in American Hockey League and put up a lot of points. But, uh, quite frankly, I just wasn't good enough to be a top six guy at the NHL level. And, and I, I found my role as a, as a checking third line, fourth line guy late in my career. And that was good enough for me. So, but Ty, he takes the game very offensive. He's got way better hands than I could ever dream of having. Um, he's got way better vision. He's got way better creativity. Um, and that's always the way he saw the game. And I never really took it away from him or, you know, uh, said anything different. I just said, you know, play the game you see. Um, and that's what he's done. I mean, you scored 143 points in 43 games in Barry. I'd, I'd say you had some offense in you, but that still wasn't enough to get drafted. At that point, are you sort of scratching your head? You put up 143 points in junior, and it's still not good enough? Yeah, well, back then, I mean, if you look at the draft back then and looked at all the size of, of the players and guys that played in the NHL, I, mean, I was when I went to college, I was 5'10 and a half, 145 pounds, maybe, um, maybe 48. Um, so, <laughs> you know, not too many guys that size back then made it, but, but nowadays, you see a lot of guys playing in the NHL at you know five ten, five eleven, one hundred seventy five, one hundred eighty pounds, and a lot of them are doing very well. You know, Caulfield's a good example of that right there. You wouldn't see guys generally back in you know ninety three draft or ninety four draft getting drafted that small unless you're elite. I mean, Theo Fleury's the guy that sticks out in my head. Maybe a Dougie Gilmore. Those guys were in a whole other realm. But other than that, it's just uh, it, it was maybe a little bit of a size thing. So. Yeah, it was a little bit of a knock when you put up a bunch of points and see other guys that don't put up as many points as you did in the same league or, you know, equivalent leagues getting drafted. But then you look at size and, you know, they're 6'1", 210 pounds. So, you know, that was just the, the nature of the game and, and things changed over the years and now you see it a little bit different. Yeah, you're gonna have the, you're gonna uh, have the last laugh for now at least. Of course, winning a couple Stanley Cups, three Stanley Cups, winning a national championship at Michigan, but beginning your NHL career without being drafted. What was the process like the second time around? Watching Ty go through it, and then to see him be selected at the 2018 draft was it was it a little bit surreal for you? Absolutely. I mean, it was something I grew up in Toronto and very you know dreaming about, just like every kid in Canada or any kid that plays hockey for that matter. So, and I knew it was a big dream of Ty's to get drafted. And for me, I just kind of lived through his experience, and you know, I went to the combine um, and you know listened. To him talk after each interview he went into and there was quite a few and it was just I don't know I was just just living through him and trying to help him the best I could um but yeah when he got drafted um in Dallas it was it was a special day special day for me I felt like you know a little part of me got drafted too so uh you know but I was just proud of him his mom was proud of him the whole family was proud of him um a lot of hard work went into that yeah, for sure. We've mentioned Michigan a few times here um, so far. With uh, with the upcoming NHL draft here, you have you know a slew of Michigan players that are expected to be near the top of the draft board. Is that stirring up some of those old college memories for you when you see that? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, my wife and I were looking at that the other day, and I was like, wow, there's, you know, the first uh, first overall pick has predicted Powers, and he's at Michigan, and there was a few others in the top uh, 14 we saw. I think there's three in the top 14. So, you know, the, uh, the Aaron Wards, I think, was one of the highest guys to ever get drafted there, um, if I remember correctly. So, you know, he's obviously going to get surpassed, or, um, you know, a few other guys that got drafted real high, like a Jason Bonnerill. I think he went 17th overall to Dallas. So, uh, they're about to get past, and that goes to Mel Pearson and, and uh, Billy McCall doing some great recruiting there. Um, and it sounds like they got a few more guys coming next year that might go early first round as well. Uh, Ty was telling us about how he wanted to go somewhere different than you and sort of forge his own way, especially because growing up he was tired of hearing – um, you know, lazy people saying things like, oh, you just made the team because of your dad. Um, even so, and even though you want the best for your son, was there a little bit of, uh, you know, were your heart broken a little bit that, you know, he didn't want to go to Michigan? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, his mom went there as well as a gymnast. And, uh, you know, of course, we, we encouraged it. We, you know, we took a look around and he liked what he saw. But at the end of the day, you know, Ty's the, Ty's the type of kid that knows what, he's, what he wants. And, you know, he, he said the right things. You know, he said, I wanted to do my own thing and, you know, not be compared to you. And and rightfully so, you know, um, just wanted to get away from it, get away from all that stuff. And I think that was one of the reasons why, you know, going to Avon was a good thing. He was just another student there, another hockey player playing his game. Um, he went to the USHL, which I never did, which is another way of, you know, getting away from, from doing it. And then obviously uh, off the Northeastern. Mm-hmm. Um was uh, was good for him with Jerry Keefe and John Madigan. So, you know, he just always wanted to do his thing and pave his own path, and, and he's doing that right now, and, and hopefully it all works out. Yeah, for sure. He put up a couple goals at the uh, USHL Top Prospects game, too. So at that time, for anybody that, you know, maybe if he wasn't on their radar, he, he certainly was on their radar after that. Um, look, you played in New Jersey. You played in Chicago. You played in Minnesota. Had a little stop in Florida. What was the connection? Because uh, you were hired in Montreal right after you were retired. How did how did that connection to the Habs come up? Um, through my agent. Um, obviously, um, I know a few guys in the organization. Or, excuse me, organization. Um, uh, Mark Bergeron was the um, player development guy in, in Chicago, so I knew him and um, there was a few, uh, Trevor Tibbins, the, the head scout there, um, for the amateurs was there as well. And I knew him a little bit. So, you know, the opportunity came up just to do UFAs in college. And basically that was basically my stomping ground that year when we were living in Minnesota. So it was very, you know, easy for me to get the games and, uh, you know, we had a connection and, uh, that's where it went from there. So a year later, you end up back in Florida. Now you're an assistant coach. And that's pretty quick to move from being a player a year later, a year after hanging up the skates, you're now on the bench. How difficult was it to transition into being a coach, having just hung your skates up so recently? I, I actually thought it was easy. Um, the little part about that, uh, I was actually scouting for Florida as a, as a regular pro scout at the time. And that's when uh, Kevin Deneen was let go and Gordon Murphy. Um, and I was hired on you know, by Dale Town at the time to just being, you know, an interim head coach, or sorry, assistant coach. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was an easy transition because everything became, it was just normal for me to be at the rink and doing everything, that, um, the routine and knowing what's going through players' heads. I thought I had an advantage. I think the tough part for me, you know, was when, uh, you know, they threw a video at me and said, now break this down and, and tell everybody they're doing it wrong. And I was like, wait, like I played with a lot of these guys. <laughs> Not too long ago, I won a cup with a couple of them. So, uh, you know, Chris Steve was there. 
Um, Gregory Campbell, or sorry, Brian Campbell is there as well. So they're looking at me going, I can't believe you're behind the bench right now. It was a couple of years ago we won the cup. So, yeah, that was a little difficult. Um, you know, I coached Scotty Gomez when he came in there the following year. And that was weird because we spent 10 years together. Um, so it, that, that part of it was a little bit weird. But, you know, as the players started to get a little older and weed themselves out, it was before long before I hadn't played with anybody. So it was a good thing. Winning that third cup, um, did did you ever envision, did you ever think, of course you won it, you're dreaming of it, but did you ever think it was realistic after getting those first couple ones that moving to a different organization, um, that, that it was going to be possible for you? Well, that was the thing. I mean, I, I knew I was getting old. I knew I maybe had one, two, possibly three years left. Um, so I was just looking for an organization that wanted to win a cup. And when I spoke to Dale Town, I mean, that's, that's what they wanted to do. And if you look at all those players, um, there's only a few left there now. You know, Patrick Kane, Tays, obviously Duncan Keith just got traded. Steve Brook retired. There's not many left, but I knew at the time, you know, Patrick Sharp and Marion Hosa was coming in. So, you know, the stars were aligning there. If we could uh, put it all together for a year. And, uh, you know, obviously very lucky to play one year in Chicago and, and help them win a cup. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Talon's a big baseball guy. Did you guys ever have a chance to talk about baseball? Who's, who was Talon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We talk all the time. We play a lot of golf when I'm down in Florida. Mm-hmm. So we talk all the time about different things, uh, life and uh, everything else. Yeah. Um, curious, you worked under uh, Gerard Gallant, and I, this is a weird question, and I don't mean it disrespectfully, so don't read too much into it, but I'm just curious what the deal is with this guy. He's such a good coach. He has so much success. Uh, the firing in, in, in Vegas seemed like a weird deal. What do you think about, what is it about him that just ends up, the rug kind of gets pulled out from underneath him before he finishes the job. What What's going on? Uh, I really don't have any insight to that. Um, but you did, you know, accurate about one thing you just said. He's, he's an unbelievable guy, and I think he's an unbelievable coach. And I think the one thing that, you know, may get overlooked a little bit with him is that he's the type of guy that every guy on the team wants to play for. Um, and they'll go through a wall for him. And I think that's a big thing, um, obviously, in any sport, you know, working for anybody. They wanted to come to work. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And they went out and executed, and, you know, and, and uh, did everything they possibly could to win hockey games. So as far as the other part goes, I mean, that's it's a better question for Gerard or um, Vegas and everybody else involved. Yeah, sure. This this question builds on that, but it's not specifically just for him. It, it's it, coaching in general. How do you balance that fine line between, it's almost like parenting, right? You know, they say that you don't want to be friends with your kids because you have to parent them. Um, but what about with the players? How do you walk that line as an assistant coach where you're, you have to have a relationship with players, but you also can't get too close to them because you also have to discipline them and whatnot. So how do you find that balance? Yeah, I think that's something with, um, you know, every coaching staff. I'm sure they work it out and figure out what guys you can you kind of have relationships with. But uh, you're right. You know, at one point you're like saying great job, showing great video. And then, you know, a week later, you know, the game slips and you got to be able to have that relationship where they can take constructive criticism from you. But also at the same time, know that you have their best interest at heart. I think once you establish that and, you know, let them know and they understand it and they trust you, I think that relationship opens up big and, you know, for me, for me coaching, I think I've been able to establish that relationship with players, uh, especially younger players. And, uh, you know, tell them uh, at the end of the day, I'm just here to help you get better. Um, you know, sometimes it's a little more hard on them when, when you got to come down on them a little bit. Um, it's not much of that more in hockey, um, but, you know, just, just helping them through it, talk them through it, 
and uh, you know helping them realize their full potential. Does that does that make players softer now? Not having to not go through that, are they softer than they were maybe in your generation or the generations before? You mentioned guys like Dougie Gilmore and stuff. No, I, I don't think you can compare the, the two generations. I think we all grew up a little bit differently, and you know, a coach barked at you and came down in front of the team on you. It was normal, and that's what the way it was done. But I think nowadays, you know, just from raising a twenty-year-old kid or twenty-one-year-old kid now and a nineteen-year-old daughter, um, you know, it just changed a little bit rather than scream and yell and get all crazy. I, I'd rather just talk to them and make them understand the situation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that I think that's the best way to go about it. Are the players now at 18, 19, 20, 21, are they smarter than they were just because of, you know, they, they're, they're so much more coached leading up to that age. Now they're, you know, they get so much more instruction and in camps and skills and, you know, heck just the internet and what they're able to absorb. Do you think that players are smarter now sooner than they would have been before? I, I'm not sure. I think the jury's out on that. And I think if you asked, you know, a hundred coaches coaching right now, you'd, you'd probably get a split somewhere down the middle of 50, 50 on that. Mm-hmm. You know, my theory of it is, is that they do spend a lot of time and I watched it uh, doing skill drills and which is great. You need skill to play in the NHL. Um, but I think there's a fine line between going out, and, you know, going around cones and, and, and so on and so forth and becoming robotic. I think also the coaching, sometimes you can overcoach. And I, I tried in American Hockey League not to overcoach. I didn't want to overdo it with video. I didn't want to overdo it with, with individual meetings. You know, I want them to think their way through it and uh, make it become part of their, their repertoire of, hey, things aren't going well. How do I get out of it? Because the coach isn't always going to be there. And as you know, and everybody knows in the NHL, you know, it's a small window. You get called up for a couple of games. You can't figure it out. You probably got to go back down and figure it out there. So mm-hmm. I always time particularly hey man you know when you play good and when you play bad you figure it out you know when you make a mistake guys open and you can pick them up or so on and so forth you know that you got to think your way through the game and i think uh self-teaching is, is something that's maybe gone away from the game a little bit you mentioned your time behind the bench there three years as an american league head coach i remember talking to tony granado once and he was mentioning how coaching it in different places, how it taught him different things and being a head coach and then having to be an assistant coach. I'm just curious, how do you think your time, or if you do think, if you do agree with this, how do you think your time as a head coach in the American league has helped you to be a better coach this time around with San Jose, maybe than you were in, in Florida, just starting out? Well, that's, that's accurate. I mean, when I did my, my interview with a uh, boogie there, um, that was the one thing I said, I said, I feel like I'm a better assistant coach now, now having gone through the head coach experience, uh, albeit not at the NHL level, but when you're the head coach, all the things you got to think about. So, you know, who's got a thousand things on his plate and if I can, you know, feel them out and get out in front of them and help them out in certain situations or remind them where, you know, it's not overwhelming and, and everything runs smooth and just, just being prepared and being prepared to help him with everything he needs help with that day, I think that would be one of the most things I learned from being the head coach. All right. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today. Two things to wrap up. They both have to do with advice. The first uh, set of questions would be, unfortunately, Ty was injured uh, early in the year, missed a big portion of the season. When he's out, when he's injured, what type of advice did you give him as a dad and what type of advice did you give him as a coach? <laughs> or were they? Well, was the advice different at all? <laughs> uh, not really. You know, I, I encouraged him to watch as many hockey games as he could. Obviously, you know, when you're injured, you're like, oh, so you want to do is watch, you know, hockey and, and, and so on. I said, but, you know, you can continue to learn um, things and pick up things and, you know, um, 
just watch hockey, learn it, teach it yourself, like you learn it your your own way. But um, you know, so it was a tough situation for him. I think he played five preseason games and lit it up, and uh, everything was going great. Um, and then only got eleven games in or twelve games this year. So, you know, I, he obviously came off a of surgery before that with his hand there. So, you know, it was a tough year, and you know, I just think that uh, he'll be better off for it. He's faced adversity before, and that's what I told him. I said, uh, just remember the feeling you have now, and, and and be ready to go when you get your chance in the off season to put some weight on and get stronger, faster, quicker, and smarter. And I said, make sure you don't, you know, take that for granted and put the time in. And he's out in LA now doing that. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm proud of him. And now looking ahead, I mean, you mentioned at the top of the interview, um, hopefully that Ty makes his NHL debut this season. It certainly is possible. It's also possible that maybe he doesn't, right? LA has a, a deep lineup with prospects, and they plan on making some roster moves this summer. Um, and so he could, as a second-year pro, have to kind of bide his time and, and wait for that opportunity. We all believe it is coming. So heading into the season, um, what type of advice are you going to give him about that patience and, and making sure that he's prepared when that moment comes? even if it doesn't happen to end up coming, uh, you know, this upcoming season? Well, there's a lot of good players, and we went through them this, uh, this offseason to talk about players that spend time in the Myers and they're having a great career. So some guys take a little bit longer. Some guys, you know, figure it out in their second year, and some guys don't figure it out their third or fourth year. But, uh, you know, the, the thing he wants to do is he wants to have a good camp, show up and have a good camp. I think that's the first thing, you know, that's what he's in control right now. And then if he gets sent down, the next thing he wants to do is, you know, be a top-line guy down in the American Hockey League and be ready at any situation. I mean, taking face-offs uh, down the Myers, making sure you're ready to go there. If they need a center, they need a left winger, right winger. He plays all three positions, so and I think he does even pretty well. So, you know, just being ready to go. When you get your chance, you know, you may only go up for a game or two. You know, there might be some injuries, but, but make the best of it. Be ready. Don't think, ah, I'm not getting there this year, so why not, you know, why not? not take care of myself just just be ready at any time because you just never know when things are going to change um and injuries happen to other guys and, and that's part of the game just always always be ready and uh you know and be watching great advice from coach madden and from dad john right there uh so there you go john madden it's been awesome having you on the program we really appreciate it we look forward to the kings playing the sharks this year and we'll uh, we'll have to look at the lineup and see if you found a way to make it in there to uh to face off once again or if you'll only be behind the bench but we appreciate having you on thanks john have a good one all right thanks john take care bud Wow, what a fun episode. Thanks again to John Madden for stopping by. Earlier in the show, we had Tyler Madden and, of course, Dennis Bernstein and I debated the expansion draft in the first period. Appreciate everybody stopping by and checking out Kings of the Podcast episode 100. We will be back next week with more content. Until then, everybody, have a great weekend.